Our scripture reading, we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As we mentioned this morning, Paul often would start letters and make reference to how he gave thanks to God for the saints and would speak of a number of things and as he did with the Thessalonians here. You know, the beginnings were different in different in different letters, but that was something that we see it and giving of thanks towards the beginning is something that we would see in his letters. But that then he would at various places and he does here that he speaks of something that was a problem among some. And the same subject comes up in Second Thessalonians. In fact, it seems to be an indication that it may have gotten, it may have gotten worse. Which indicates, too, we look at that from the viewpoint not only of the fact that we ourselves need to always be on guard in this regard and see how this applies to us, the subject of working, but also in the mission field, there certainly there is an indication then that what Paul faced here would be a problem that we would face, that we would expect to face, whether in our own country or in a foreign country, that there would be some that were not working and needed to be exhorted to work. Uh, and the importance of us diligently working and not meddling in the affairs of others, minding our own business, as we often teach our children to mind their own business and be diligent doing what they're to do. So we as adults are, are to do that, and that that is our, that is our calling. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, and then read a few verses from 2 Thessalonians that pick up on the subject and see how Paul addresses it again later on. This is evidently a subject that he addressed when he was there, it was a letter, it was something he addressed in his first letter, and it was something he addressed in his second letter. So we begin with verse 1 of chapter 4. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. So they spoke about the promise. They spoke about what Christ has done for us, what he does in us, and so on. And there were commandments. And he says, ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles who know not God. Don't be like the Gentiles that don't know God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, 
who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, and now he's going to start talking, he talks a bit about holiness, a holy life, especially over against fornication. Now he starts talking about brotherly love, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it. There's a number of times when he'd give an exhortation and say something like, you are doing it. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Interesting question. To what degree we focus on increasing? We say, well, we do love the brethren. But if there were exhorted, increase more and more. And, and this is a subject we'll be talking about, Lord willing, tonight, and that ye study to be quiet, to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, bringing up, he had talked about this already, that ye might walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, and now he starts talking about the return of Christ. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and the idea is, and we do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. And then we turn to 2 Thessalonians 3 and just read verses 6 through 12. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 12. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how we ought to, how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you. So again, he makes a reference to what he taught when he was there. This is what we commanded you. If any would not work, neither should he eat. And then he speaks specifically. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. 
Now them that are such, we command and exhort. He often would say, we exhort or we beseech. Now he adds, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So, so far we read from the scriptures and going back to the text, the text consists of verses 11 and 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, without meaning those outside the church, and that ye may have lack of nothing, or literally that ye may have need of, of no one, instead of looking to others to provide for one's needs. So that is the text that we consider uh, tonight. Dearly beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in this passage, this section is about how we ought to walk and to please God. We who know that Christ has reconciled us to God. He's offered the perfect sacrifice. He has reckoned us, reconciled us to God. We who, are, who understand and are comforted knowing that our salvation is all of him and nothing, no one can snatch us out of our Lord's hand. We, out of thankfulness, desire to do what is pleasing to him. And this section is about how we ought to walk and to please God. And we've talked about how Paul often would talk about more doctrinal matters at the beginning of the letter and then he would have a number of practical things and sometimes a number of exhortations right after another sometimes a number of short exhortations and sometimes he would address specific issues specific that there were some in this case that there were some that were not doing something or he would exhort them to increase in something that they were doing so that to exhorting them to love one another wasn't saying that they were not but that they were to increase more and more even as like, like we had this morning when we talk about witnessing to others well we do witness but we uh, we can certainly as we examine ourselves recognize that we, we can do that more than, than we do and we desire to do that. We desire that word to echo forth from us. And we hear about the Thessalonians, and it makes us, and then we're directed to think, you know, I, I should speak more than I do. They, they were, others were even hearing about them, that they were echoing forth the word. And it's good for us that we examine ourselves in that regard, all of us, and that we learn more about how to do that, because we can... It's not good when we come off as if we, you know, we know everything, we, we know so much and that we're arrogant and we're looking down on others, but that we really show concern for others and we listen to others as to what they believe and, and why they believe it. Well, here we're considering the calling to, to work. 
And here, one of the things we consider and, you know, that's mentioned is, are we, to what degree am I working diligently? Every one of us can ask that. A student can consider that question. The mother in the home considering that question. The child who's going to school, to what degree are they applying themselves? Or in the summer, as we're now coming to the end of a school year, to what degree are we going to make good use of our time? When we're enjoying other things outside of the school as a child, and even before we may be working somewhere and, and making some money, even when we're before that time in our life, there's things we learn. There's interaction that takes place with other people. And when we think of what would the Lord have us to do, well, he calls us to love one another, to work together with our friends, for our speech to be glorifying to God, for us to help one another, encourage one another. When we enjoy time together, that we're concerned for the other members, not just one or two that we're closer with, but we think also about others. And wanting others to be included. There's many aspects in our own life about, well, what are we doing and how... How diligent are we in doing what the Lord would call, calls me to do in this stage? A retired person can look at the word of God and say, no, in this stage in my life, what would the Lord have me to do? Things may have changed quite a bit from earlier days. What would the Lord have me to do now at this stage? Look at what, what opportunities we have and abilities we have and using them rightly to the glory of God and doing so out of a love for God's people because this subject of working is connected here with the subject of loving the brethren so that when we're working, for example, in the workplace, our, we do that out of a love for other members of the body of Christ. So we're not just thinking about ourselves or just thinking about ourselves in our and our family, but that we are thinking beyond that. We're concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we see this brought up in the case of, in connection with the life of the child of God, it brings out that a Christian life, a holy life, one who is spiritual-minded, who loves the brethren, shows that by being diligently at work out of thankfulness to God, doing the work that the Lord have him or her to do. So we consider this passage under the theme, diligently working. We consider, first of all, the calling, that we're called to do that. Secondly, the love, how this is connected with love in the context here, that we are show, that one who shows love in this way. And thirdly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the goal. Take note of how God says that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing or need of no one. So in the last place, we consider the goal. Diligently working, the calling, the love, and, and the goal. Now, first of all, with regard to more general and then getting more specific, more general from the viewpoint of our calling to do the work that the Lord has called us to do and that only a believer 
does, ever does, begins to do what God has called him to do. An unbeliever may be hardworking from a certain point of view. People may notice how hard he works and how much effort he puts into what he's doing, but he's not laboring as to the Lord. What he's doing is not good work, good works. Even though he's hard at work from a certain point of view. The only one who ever does anything to the Lord is somebody who has the law of God written in their heart. It's the only one that would ever do something out of a love for God. And as we work, we are to remember that our Father works. Jesus spoke and said, My Father is working and I am working. The Bible speaks that way, of, of his works. It speaks of Christ's work, the work that Christ does. It's he talked about how he sees what the Father does, and he does likewise. That son who makes that statement, he sees what the father does and he does likewise. That Christ is in us. We really are members of his body. The spirit of Christ dwells within us and we do have a desire to serve him. We see we have a sinful, depraved nature and we have evil desires and we see the problem of, of being lazy and not doing the work trying to get others to do the work but those who are in Christ do have a love for God and desire to serve him even as was pointed out the very first answer of the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of that and our calling is to work not simply because we need food and clothing and so on, not only because of the certain needs that we have for the body, but also because it's a divine calling. Sometimes people have a bumper sticker. Some have had a bumper sticker that says something like, I owe, I owe, so off. To work I go. It's like, is that, is that the reason? Is to pay off debt? Or is it simply the, the reason, just simply to, if we, are, if we don't have debts, just simply to acquire more things? To have what we, what we would like. The kind of house we'd like, the kind of car we'd like, the kind of truck we'd like, the kind of machine that we like. Or are we working out of a desire to glorify God? Thinking God has called me to work. And I go to work each day from that point of view. That he's giving me work to do. And I desire to do that. Desire to do it faithfully. And to his honor. 
man had work to do before the fall. Not only after the fall, but before the fall. After the fall, then he was told he was going to labor in the sweat of his face. And now we find in our work we, we have many difficulties that we encounter from a variety of points of view. And we think of the, you know, in, the, in farming and all the problems with, with the weeds, the thorns and thistles, but that, as, it, as we read in the King James, yet we know that applies to other areas of work as well. The difficulties we're going to face as we engage in our work. And since the fall, that, that is the way it's going to be. And we are to deal with the difficulties that we face rightly. We're to be slow to anger and consider, what would the Lord have me to do? All of a sudden, something can happen that is not what we desire to happen. It may be a very expensive. And we think, oh, the expense of what, because of what just took place. Some people of the world might get angry and start using filthy language and so on. And we're to show how do we deal with it? How do we deal with things that happen in the workplace that is not what we would have wanted to have happen? Or mistakes that take place. And how we deal with that. Somebody makes a mistake, maybe a costly one. How do we, how do we handle the matter? There are going to be difficulties in the workplace and we're called to work, and we're called to work following the instruction concerning how to work. The passage mentions working with our own hands. Working with our own hands. To do your own business, to work with your own hands. Manual labor. Virtually all labor involves the hand. Sometimes we refer to certain things as manual labor. And certain types of work come to our mind when we speak of manual labor. But really, all, virtually all work involves the hands in one way or another. We recognize, of course, in, in our work that there's much that is involved that we are think, trying to figure something out. Many people work with figures, for example, and they're doing a lot of work trying to figure things, trying to solve problems, mathematical problems, and so on. But we understand that when there's a reference to our laboring with our hands, that there's the idea that all kinds of work, all kinds of legitimate work, there's some things people do for money that are not legitimate. There's some things people do and get paid for it, and it's forbidden, it's sinful. And yet they get paid to do it. But this is all kinds of legitimate work, proper work, work that God would call us to do, something that would be proper for us to, for a Christian to be, for us to be engaged in. Even if we have enough money, we have a calling to work. Our concern is also for others. Even if we think, well, I personally have plenty. Well, that may be. 
But there are many others that do have need, not only in our own country, but in other countries as well. Realize that's a, that's a difficult subject, how to assist those in other countries that have such needs in comparison to our, our own. That is a difficult area. But just looking at it now, not getting into that, it is our calling to be concerned about the others in the body. What we can do, if we've got plenty, well, what could we profitably do with what we have? We're a steward. That's why we often bring that up. A steward is managing things that are somebody else's. And when somebody thinks, I have all this, and you do? Do you think this is just yours? We're stewards. We're to use everything in the service of our God. And we're to do our own business. Now that... When it says to study to be quiet and to do your, do your own business, to be quiet and doing your own. The danger is that somebody is not doing what they're called to do and instead they're focusing on what others aren't doing. And the Bible connects those two. The danger of somebody not doing what they're supposed to do and they start meddling in what others are doing. You know, you have, for example, that uh, when it says, speaking about, uh, but younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. And then going down, it says, and whither they learn to be idle, and I'm just looking at it from this point of view here what it says about idleness and what idle people get involved in. It says, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. And that idea is brought up. The Elsewhere, when we read of being busybodies, they're not working, they're busybodies in 2 Thessalonians. That is seen, too. You have some that are not doing what they're supposed to do, and they're always trying to find fault with others. You can see that in your own family, in your own children. And sometimes we'll address, and sometimes that maybe some of you children here have had a parent tell you that, that you're so much focused on whether your brother or sister is doing what they're supposed to do. And coming and rundling and saying, my brother isn't doing this, my sister's not doing that, instead of looking sufficiently at whether they're doing what they're supposed to do. Instead, they focus on whether they're brother or sister, and they watch them and see if they can find fault with them for something. And each one of us is to be busy doing the work that we are called to do. That's what God exhorts us to do. That's what, the, that's what the Word of God here exhorts us to do. Doing our own business. In the school, in the home, outside the home. And we're to have a quiet life. Notice it says to study to be quiet. Now that word study there 
has the idea of considering it to be an honor or to having as one's ambition to have as one's ambition to lead a quiet life minding one's own business working with one's own hands that and that there may be quiet peace and considering it to be an honor to be considering it to be an honor to be working laboring in God's service and to be ambitious to do that and desiring that there be peace there's all sorts of disruption when people are meddling in the affairs of others then there's fighting and and then we see that in our own home we the principles that were taught in scripture then we see if we're rearing children or if we're teaching children we see it right in front of us what happens when people are not doing what they're supposed to do and instead they're always focusing on what others are supposed to do and there may be times when they point out something that somebody's not doing that they should be and then we do have to address that too but then also pointing out that each one of us is to be diligent doing the work that we're called to do that's that's our calling and that that shows that shows love that shows brotherly love that that shows love is evident from the context because the context this section is about the the love that we're to show and when it brings up the subject of the love that we're supposed to show and then it makes a reference to the working it serves to bring out when you put it together that's not sowing sufficient love for God's people when we show love for God's people when we're diligently doing our own work and minding our own business working with our own hands that shows love for God that shows love for God's for God's people loving someone refers to delighting in them and seeking his good and preventing his hurt as much as in us lies when we're speaking of brotherly love preventing one's hurt seeking their good now when we're seeking their good then we're concerned about them and their needs even as we express in the lord's prayer when we say give us this day our daily bread and when we pray that if we when we mean that and we do then our concern is that our brothers and sisters also may have what they need for the body and out of love for them we give we give for example in the benevolent fund god has shown his love for us He has shown his great love in sending his only begotten son and the sacrifice that Christ offered he felt as our creed say he felt the punishment greater love hath no man than this that a man lays down his life for his friends and then he said ye are my friends 
He showed his love at the cross. Christ did. And God has poured out his heart, his love rather, poured out his love into our hearts. When we talk about what he infuses into our wills, and we've mentioned, mentioned that a number of times, and familiar with that. He infuses faith, obedience, and the third point that's mentioned is he infuses into us a consciousness of his love. That explains why you are conscious that God loves you. Many are not. You're conscious of the fact that God loves you. You don't have any doubt about that. God infused that into your will. Into our heart. Into our heart, he infused. His law is written in our heart. And we have that consciousness of his love. Now, we love him. We love him who first loved us. Familiar with that verse, 1 John, that we love him because he first loved us. And the Christ who loved us and laid down his life for us lives in us, dwells within us. We're members of his body. And his spirit works in us that we do have a real love for one another. We do. And that's what was said to the Thessalonians. You do love one another. Well, connecting that subject to the subject of working, the idea is that we show our love by our diligent working. In one Diligently working in the workplace is a manifestation of, or put it this way, one who is spiritually minded and genuinely loving God's people. That manifests itself in the work we do. Whether we're working inside the home or outside the home, in the work we're engaged in, the world, how, what we're engaged in and how we're engaged in it. Like a student at school, diligent in their work, showing respect to the teachers, showing respect to the other classmates, concerned about including other classmates, and so on. Concerned about the conduct when out at recess, if we're younger, etc. That the work we're engaged in, that we're diligently working, doing things, to the, and we often say to the best of our ability, which is true, yet it is good to add. It's good to add the idea that we do it as to the Lord, so that we're to do work to the best of our ability as to the Lord. And not in the men. Out of love for God and out of love for his, his people. Now, there were those in Thessalonica that weren't. We read, you know, in addition to the text, in 1 Thessalonians 5, there's another passage that says, Warn them that are unruly 
or admonish the unruly. And then we go to 2 Thessalonians, and we read more specifically of the problem that there were those that were walking disorderly, not after the tradition, not following what, what, what had been passed down to them, the instruction that had, the word of God, the instruction that had been passed down to them. They weren't working at all. And God says, the church is called to discipline them. They're not showing love for God or his people. They're not following the Eighth Commandment, where we're supposed to be diligently working. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, admonish them. And Paul says that he spoke about this when he was there, and now he's telling the Thessalonians to admonish them. And he also said, if someone is unwilling to work, in 2 Thessalonians 10, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, the idea is, if anybody is unwilling, unwilling to work. Of course, a person may be out of work and is trying to find work. We may have times like that for a time we're out of work and then we're busy trying to find work. Or a person could be uh, physically unable to do various kinds of work. The, the issue we're talking here about somebody who's unwilling to work. That's the idea. If any would not work, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, literally that is, if anyone is not willing to work. He's going to look for two others to provide for him. They're told, neither should he eat. If he's able and he's not doing the work, he's looking for other people to do the work. The principle is neither should he eat. And it should be brought to him that he's not showing the love he ought to ought to show for, for his brethren. He's not doing the work God has called him to do. He's not showing the love for the brethren that he ought to. He needs to turn from that. He's got to repent. And anybody that's walking in this sin must turn from it and turn to God for forgiveness and for deliverance. There is forgiveness with God. And of course, all of us can apply it to ourselves regarding the, the importance of us being diligent in our work and showing our love for God and that we can be more diligent than, than we are and doing our work cheerfully. In missions, there's a number of times when we could come across that in the work of missions. You can have those that are constantly looking to other people to provide for them. Perhaps they've been doing that for years, finding ways to get out of work. And we can, we can see that in our own families. You can find it in the mission field, too. Somebody that is quick, as soon as they sense that there's going to be work, something is happening, and they insist, okay, work, is, there's a, going to need to be some work done here. They try to get out of the situation. So others don't see them. They kind of just move aside so that others can do the work, or they're very slow to get started. And they're quick 
to stop working. This, these passages bring up that we are to admonish those that are doing that about the importance of us working. In the midst of you could also have people that join a church to try to get the people in the church to provide for them when they really could do work themselves. There are those that when we, we encourage people in time of need to go to the deacons. We don't, we're, not, we're not discouraging that when, those, when people legitimately have needs. And we desire them to do that, encourage them to do that. And that's why I say this, this is looking specifically at somebody who's not willing to work and trying instead to find ways that others in the church can provide for them. And if after a while people start recognizing that he's really kind of taking advantage of the people in the church, well, then maybe they'll leave and start somewhere else. You can go from one church to the next that way. And you first show up in the church and everybody's welcoming you. There's a newcomer here and then you start talking about your needs and people are helping you out and, and you can keep moving about that way. You're not working. The person's not working. Looking for others to provide for their needs. And we can have that problem with foreign countries too. That foreign countries can think, hey, we've got connection to this much wealth, church in a much wealthier country and it's easy to look too quickly to them and not sufficiently considering what they could provide for themselves. So we want to help those in need, but also wanting them to be diligently striving to do what they can to provide themselves. You can have those that pursue the ministry. It's interesting in this regard, there were those in commenting on this that made a reference to idle monks and that idea that this idea of being not working applies to monks that are idle, that idea got into the second Helvetic confession, that idle monks are examples of the ones Paul was referring to. Well, you can have people that per pursue the ministry. Think, oh, I don't, don't have to work. And others are going to provide for me. And it's important to talk to young men that are pursuing the ministry as to what their motivation is. Say in a foreign country, you may have a number of people that are want to be in the ministry. What is, your, what is your reason? And do you realize what work is actually involved? You don't look at it as if it's not going to be the case that you're going to be working hard when one considers what that work is. So there's various ways in which this very problem we can face it in our own families. We can also face it in, you know, in the church or on the mission field. And if, when we address it, and when we admonish people to bring up that calling to show love, show genuine love for the people of God. We are taught of God concerning brotherly love. You know, Paul says here, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write it to you, for you are taught of God and when it says in verse 9 as touching brotherly love ye need not that I write unto you for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another 
That's, an old, that's a promise referred to in the Old Testament in Isaiah 54, verse 13, that God promised that all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. And it seems to be a reference to that, being taught of God. God has taught us. God has taught us to love one another. And the Spirit of Christ works in us. We're not to walk like the Gentiles that don't know God. In this context, he talks that way. He's addressing those, and at least many of them were Gentiles, turned to God from idols. And he says, don't walk like the Gentiles. You, be you belong to the people of God, the one holy people of God, the one people that are taught of God, who have been brought into covenant communion with God, an unconditional covenant relationship. He has taught you. He's written his law on your heart. You know him. You love him. And to be diligent, to do work and love, and to increase in our love. That ye increase more and more. Certainly, that phrase... We beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. That is certainly a phrase for each one of us to consider. Is it the case that my love for my brothers and sisters is increasing? Even if I'm 80, 90 years old. Is that the case? That's what we're exhorted. I exhort you, brethren. That's the word of God that comes to us, that we, that we increase. And that we ask, we look to God for the grace. And we consciously strive to show love to other members. Showing that we want to get to know them. Showing that we're concerned about them. That we want to help them when they're in need. Rejoicing with them. Weeping with them. We are, and our calling is to increase. The goal, the goal is not that we may, attain, may obtain more material things. The goal is not the praise of men and that we may show ourselves successful in the eyes of the world. Others can see the equipment we have. Others can see how much we possess. Others can see the car we drive or the truck we have or whatever. It's not that. That's not our motivation. Nor does one work and just work, work, work because all the struggles and trials, that they, all the difficulties that they face in life they just go to the workplace and work, 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 trying to get their mind off of all the problems that they have in their life. We labor, the reason why we labor is that we want to glorify our God. That's why. That's our, that's our conscious motivation 
And specifically, what is mentioned is that ye may walk honestly, or doing that which is seemly or becoming toward them that are without, referring to those that are outside. It first makes a reference to that others from the outside will see us. So when we talk about witnessing, we talked about witnessing with our words, but also in our conduct that others may see what we do and they see how we work. They take note of how we work. Some of us have more of those from the outside around us when we work. Some of us may work by ourselves. Some of us may be working at home and are by ourselves all the time. Another one may have quite a few around them. We often, do, we often do have interaction to a certain degree with other people, whether it be even on the phone, or if we travel from time to time and make in various business dealings and so on, whether locally or, or elsewhere. It's important that we are a faithful witness, that others can see our conduct by our conduct that we're not laboring to please men. We're not, we're not like those that just simply make changes when they're going, somebody's going to be looking, but that they're laboring as to the Lord. That they can see that difference. Employers can see that difference and think that this is a faithful employee. This person shows up and they... They work. They're quick to work. They're diligent at work. And not just when I'm watching. And people can be very pleased to have. We, that's the way we desire it to be. That others would say that they were very pleased to see the kind of work that is done. And then for us to have opportunities, perhaps, to be able to talk about how we labor as to the Lord. That we're striving to work to the best of our ability as to the Lord. And not unto men. And then it also mentions that ye may have lack of nothing, or that you might need no one, that you may be able to provide for yourselves. And that's a proper motivation, that I may work, that I may provide for ourselves. Now, we know, understand, of course, that God is the one that feeds us. He provides the opportunity to work, the ability to work, and so on. That he's the one that gives us all that we need. But he also commands us now to work. And says here, if somebody doesn't, is not willing to work, they should need. And that we should have a goal that we may labor diligently. It's mentioned in the marriage form. When it talks about the calling of the husband, it makes a reference to the, the laboring that you may provide for yourself and also have something to give to the poor. So not only that you may provide for yourself, but also that you might have something to give and that that's a desire to be able to give. And that's something that we all have to teach our children too. As our children start working and they start making more money and they start 
wanting, taking note of how much they're making and now they have this much and now they have that much and maybe I could use it for this and maybe I could use it for that and then we bring up and you need to be giving in the offering. Cheerfully. So we're stewards. If we're cheerfully to give as those that are glad to give. And it's such a joy when we see a child wanting to do that. And, and, you, and, we've, and you see that. child that receives something and they want, they want to give it in the offering plate. And that's what a, what a joy it is to hear a child that receives something and they think, I, I want to give this. I want to be able to give it in the offering plate. But throughout our life, as we grow older, in each stage, we are to keep that in mind, the needs, and to be able to give. Provide for ourselves, and to be able to give to, to others as well. And certainly our Christian education, helping our children, giving instruction to them about the importance of working, also the Christian education we give in our schools. It's very important, the work that we're engaged in together, desiring our children be instructed in our schools and prepared and help prepare them for the work that they'll engage in, whether in the home or outside. And also learning to work together with other brothers and sisters in Christ on different tasks. Very thankful to God. And at the end of this school year, giving thanks to you involved in the school, very thankful to God for the teachers and administrators that we have. The Lord has richly blessed our schools. I'm very thankful to God for that. May the Lord grant us grace that we need to work faithfully. May we thank him for all he's done for us and the work of Christ in us. And may he bless our work that his name may be praised. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, our Father, we are thankful, O oh Lord, for thy grace and thy mercy. Lord, strengthen us to be diligent in the work to which thou hast called us. May we do it faithfully to the honor of thy name as those who truly are thankful to be members of the body of Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.